Trinity Baptist Church. Once I was driven by a desire to be accepted and approved by others. I had this need to be liked, always wanting to perform well and never fail. I lived under a constant fear of rejection, knowing if I didn't get the acknowledgement I was looking for, I would fall under a dark cloud of despair. I was willing to go down the wrong path just to please others, sometimes to the point of being untruthful about who I really was. I would go to where God was not leading me and not see the path ahead. My life became a roller coaster of highs and lows, ultimately feeling empty and unfulfilled. Then Jesus found me and turned it around. He has shown me unconditional and unfailing love and has told me he loves me just as I am. He filled me with an overwhelming joy, peace, knowing that though I'm fallible to him, because of him, I am holy. Today I see the path ahead and know God is guiding each step I take. Now I don't let my mistakes mark the end of the road, but rather a road to a new beginning. I am Maria Mukandawiri and I am new. Today's reading is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. When Sabalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones down to life from those heaps of rubble, burnt as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building, even if a fox climbed up on it, he would break down the walls of stones. Hear, hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot, do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their hearts. This is the word of the Lord. We're in this series uh, called e Extraordinary, and we've established that none of us really want to be ordinary. Nobody wants just an ordinary life, just average, ho-hum. Nobody wants just, you know, an average marriage or an average job or average kids. We don't want to be ordinary. We want extraordinary. We want everything in our life to, to be a cut above. And so what we've been learning from the book of Nehemiah is that being extraordinary doesn't just happen. You don't just sit back and, and wish it to be true. There are some things that, that need to take place in, in your life 
so that you can move from the ordinary to the extraordinary. What we've seen so far in this book is that the place that it starts is with a passion. Extraordinary people have passion. Or what Bill Hybels called, calls a holy discontent, or that Popeye moment where, where you say, that's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. Right? I don't, I don't want this life anymore. I want better than this. I'm not okay with just average anymore. I want more than that. And so we have extraordinary people have a passion that begins to move them forward. And then we saw that the next thing is prayer. That we recognize that it's not, I can't do this on my own. I can't move from ordinary to extraordinary by myself. I need the power of the sovereign God to come upon me and enable me to to take these steps. And so extraordinary people are passionate, but then they pray. And then we saw that the next thing is that they plan. They, it's, it's not just about being passionate and praying, but you got to have a plan. You got you to say, okay, here's the steps that I'm going to take. And that's chapters one and two of Nehemiah. And then last week we saw in chapter three that, that in order for extraordinary things to take place, it takes all of us. We all need to do our part. We all come together. We each build our part of the wall. And when it's all said and done, something amazing happens when we all pitch in and do our part. So that's essentially chapters 1, 2, and 3. So what do you think chapter 4 is going to be about? Opposition. It's going to be about opposition. Because whenever you're trying to do something extraordinary, whenever you're trying to move forward, you can pretty much count on the fact that you're going to be opposed. And and that's what we're going to see in this chapter. Actually, the next three chapters of Nehemiah are about opposition. Um, So an extraordinary person is passionate. They pray. They plan. But they also, in the face of opposition, they persevere. So... How's that? Four Ps. You can remember that. So if you want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, I want to, before we look at the text, I want to teach you something about hermeneutics. You say, Herman who? Hermeneutics is is just kind of a a big seminary term that that means the methodology by which you do biblical interpretation, all right? And there's a principle in hermeneutics called proportion, meaning that, that the more something is talked about in, in the Scripture, the more something's talked about in a text, the, the weightier that thing is. Does that make sense? So if there's one verse on something, but there's eight verses on something else in the context of what's being you would say, well, this eight verses is probably more important than the one verse. That's the principle of proportion. So what you see when you go through these first few chapters of Nehemiah is you see that passion has about 
two verses, maybe three verses in chapter one. You can kind of see it in chapter two. There's some undercurrents of it. Um, you see it in, in chapter four also a little bit. So you, you kind of can see passion. And then you see prayer. And in chapter one, you've got six or seven verses just on prayer. And in chapter two, you've got three or four just on prayer. And in chapter four, you've got more just on prayer. And as you go through the book of Nehemiah, there's more and more and more on prayer. And so you go, well, prayer's really important for Nehemiah and in all this. Um, planning, you got like five verses. And so planning, well, it's a deal, but it's not a huge deal. Now, why am I telling you this? Because God gives us over three chapters in a row just to dogged perseverance in the face of opposition. Perseverance is what separates the ordinary from being extraordinary. Ordinary people say, I wish this or that could happen. Ordinary people say, I wish I had a good marriage. I wish I would be free from this problem or, or this situation or this addiction. I wish I could have a really good job. I wish things would happen that would go my way. But then when opposition comes, they say, well, oh God, I guess it's not going to happen. They just kind of throw in the towel. That's what ordinary people do. Extraordinary people say, here's what I believe God is calling me to, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to move there. I quoted this verse a, uh, a couple of weeks ago from Proverbs 13.4. It says, the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. You see, it's the diligent who persevere in the face of opposition, and they get what they set out for. They set out for. There are all kinds of people who are ordinary, who people who start something, people who embark upon a mission or a task or a project for the glory of God, but when the going gets tough, they throw in the towel and just say, oh, that's too hard for me. Those who finish strong are few because their ranks are thinned by persecution and trial. You see, you can know your Bible. You can know what needs to be done. You can have the knowledge of what can be done. You can even dream about what it needs to be done and, and about getting there. But when you come down to day-by-day -day dogged perseverance, friends, that is not a gift. There is no spiritual gift of perseverance. Perseverance is, is a decision that we make. Perseverance is nothing but courage and character and guts and tenacity and loving the things of God so greatly that you will not relent until that thing is done. That's what we see in Nehemiah. And let's get something clear before we look at the text. Opposition almost always comes because you're moving forward in something. 
right? If you're not moving forward, what's there to oppose? If you're not making progress, there's nothing to oppose. But when you are moving forward, when you are making progress, when you're seeing some successes, that's when the enemy starts to oppose you. And so while this is counterintuitive, when opposition comes, you need to be encouraged. Because that, that's telling you that you're making progress. Because the enemy doesn't want you to make progress. And so when you're being opposed, you say, okay, I'm on the right track. I need to keep going. Let's look at the text. <clears throat> the first form of opposition, verse 1, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, and Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, and he didn't like the fact that the Jews were coming back and, and reestablishing themselves. And so he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. The first attack is that of ridicule. And if you read through verse 2, it's, he does a pretty good job of ridicule. It says he ridicules the Jews in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. Ridicule needs an audience. And so he's got his audience. And he starts in on them and he calls them feeble Jews. What's he attacking? Their identity. He attacks their identity. You guys are feeble Jews. And then he says, will they restore their wall? Or as the Hebrew literally says, will they restore the wall for themselves? He attacks their motives. It's not really about God. It's about you. You're just being selfish. And then he says, will they offer sacrifices, attacking their faith and their worship of God? Next, he says, will they do it in a day? In other words, he's, he's questioning their, their, um, their intellect and their ability. Have you really thought this through, and do you really think you can accomplish this? Finally, he says, can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? He's mocking their resources, trying to place doubt in their minds as to whether or not they've got the wherewithal to make this happen. So you, he, says, he mocks their identity, their motive, their God, their ability, their resources. He says, there's no way that you guys are going to be able to do this. That's pretty thorough ridicule. I think he kind of thought that through. Verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. I kind of see hear Hans and Franz in that. Um, meaning, you think this wall of defense will stand against an army? <laughs> Even if a fox jumped up on that, it would fall down. <laughs> it was really funny back in the, those days. <laughs> Have you ever had this happen to you? You're trying to do something that's extraordinary. You're trying to move forward in your life, and somebody comes along and says, you can't do that. What do you think? You can't do that. You're not good enough to do it. You can't make that happen. One person can't make that happen. They just ridicule you. There was a guy named Tertullus. 
who ridiculed a guy named Paul and said he was just a leader of this cult of the Nazarenes. How did Paul do? This guy named Goliath who ridiculed David. And he said, am I just a dog that you would come at me with sticks? How did David do? Jesus is hanging on the cross. And they said, you're the king of the Jews. Come on down. How did Jesus do? See, there are these folks who are ganging up against the Jews. And here you are, Joe the perfumer. And, and until just a few days ago, you were working with rose petals. And now you've got these big stones and you're in there and you're trying to build this wall and you've got these folks out there saying, you can't do that. Who are you? You're just a perfume guy. What are you doing trying to build a wall? Or you're from Tekoa or from Jericho and you've come a long way and you've left your family to come and be a part of this really amazing, significant, extraordinary thing. And you've got these people saying, you can't get it done. You don't have the resources. What are you doing? It kind of make you think about going home, wouldn't it? So what do you do? Well, we learned three things from Nehemiah. One thing that he did not do, and two things that he did. Verse 4, And Nehemiah cursed back at them, saying, You stupid Ammonites! I'll take this trowel and shove it. <clears throat> Your Bible doesn't say that? It would look strange if it did. It would look strange if it said, as Jesus was hanging on the cross when he was being mocked and spit upon, that Jesus cursed back and spit back. But just as Jesus remained silent, in the face of insults, and he prayed to his Father in heaven, um, so too did Nehemiah. The first thing we see is that Nehemiah did not retaliate and lower himself to their level. He remained silent. But then look at what he did. Verse 4, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Some of you may have heard of the, the Quaker who was having difficulty with his donkey. Everybody know what a Quaker is? You know, nonviolent people, you know. So this Quaker's having problems with his, his donkey and and so he, he says to his donkey, he says, Donkey, thou knowest I am a Quaker. And thus thou knowest that I cannot curse thee and I cannot whip thee. But what thou dost not knowest is that I can give thee to my neighbor and he is no Quaker. And he can beat the living daylights out of you. What Nehemiah is essentially saying is, God, it would not be right for me to retaliate. 
But God, you are no Quaker. (laughs) And this battle is yours. And you need to fight for your own honor. And you need to, to come against these people who are despising you and despising what your people are doing. You see, Nehemiah prays to God and says, God, this is in your hands. He, he um, doesn't listen to anything they say, but he turns it over to God and he keeps right on with the work. He perseveres. Notice what happens, verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached its, half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. What that tells me is that in the face of opposition, these folks came together and helped each other so that the wall could continue to go up. Friends, you have to have people at your side who will help encourage you and hold you up when you are faltering. And similarly, you need to be someone who comes alongside of others when they are faltering. That's why I have men in my life who will pray for me and will stand with me so that when I'm struggling, when I'm losing heart, when I'm being discouraged, they can say, hey, Keith, we're in this with you. We're praying for you. You keep going, and we'll keep going with you. I need to be that for other people as well. That's why our staff meets together to pray on Wednesday mornings. We meet right over in that corner of the sanctuary, and we pray for you guys on Wednesday mornings, that God will strengthen you and encourage you and, and, and hold you up. And we pray for each other so that we can keep going. See, we need each other. We need to, to come together so that when the enemy comes against us, we can stand firm, we can stand together, and we can press on into what God has called us to. In verse 7, the opposition becomes a little more aggressive. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So they start with ridicule, but when ridicule doesn't work, they turn up the heat. And And they start to mount real forces to come. So what did Israel do? Verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. What do you do when opposition comes? You pray and post guard. You pray and you act. As I said a couple of weeks ago, Extraordinary people are not passive people. Prayer is not a passive thing. You don't lean on your shovel and pray for a ditch, right? You get in there and you do something. You act, you pray, and you post guard. The two go hand in hand. How does Nehemiah go into action? Verse 13. Therefore I stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. 
posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He is no Quaker. He is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then fight. And I want you to notice from verse 13. It says that he placed people at the low and exposed places. Friends, if we're going to be extraordinary as individuals and as a community, we have to place people at the low and exposed places. If Gentlemen, if you want to be extraordinary in your life for God, and you're struggling or messing around with pornography, yeah, you, you need to pray about that. But you also need to place guard at the low place, at that exposed place. You need to put some thing, you need to take some action and put some practical steps in place that will guard you against that. Not just pray about it. Ladies, if if you want to be extraordinary and and you're struggling with with self-esteem, you need to post guard at that low place. Certainly, you need to pray that the Lord would help you to see that you are a highly favored daughter of the King. But you also need to take some action and do some things that are going to post a guard in that exposed place. Couples, you want an extraordinary marriage? And you've got low places in the area of communication or maybe it's there's some selfishness going on or maybe there's some pride involved and things aren't hitting where they need to be. Yeah, you need to be praying about that, but you also need to be taking some action. And you need to be posting guard in those low places so that you can so that you can shore up where the enemy is coming in. Because he's going to attack. That's, that's where he's coming through the wall. Some of us have read our Bible from cover to cover. Some of us have been in small groups for a hundred years. You know, every time the doors of the church are open, I'm there. Some of us, you know, have been on spiritual retreats and we've, you know, memorize scripture and we've done all of this stuff to fill our heads but at the end of the day when, when opposition comes we're not acting we're not posting guard where we need to we're not persevering friends if you want to be extraordinary it's not about bible knowledge it's about what you do to put that into action. Yes, pray about it, but you also have to act. It's not passive. And that's not just with us as individuals, but that has to do with us as a community of faith as well. We've got low places in the wall of, 
of our in in the ministries of our churches, in the ministries of our church, where we need people to come and stand in the gap. We need people who will who will say, you know what, I'm gonna. I'm going to help teach our, our toddlers and our preschoolers about the love of Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to volunteer so I can help out with our babies in the nursery. We need people who will stand in the gap with our teens and help, help our teens to understand who Jesus is and, and what, what following Christ is all about. We need people who will, who will say, you know what, I'm, I'm all in. I, I got a warm and friendly face, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve with the, the greeters, and I'm going to make sure that people know that Trinity is a warm and welcoming place. Um, we need help with coffee hour. You think coffee hour is, is not an important part of the wall? I mean, part of who, who God's called us to be is a, is a community where people can connect and be engaged. And it's not just a place where spectators come. And part of that engagement, part of fellowship, is having some food out on the table. Right? We need people helping to serve downstairs. Friends, if we're going to be extraordinary as individuals, and if we're going to be extraordinary as a church, we got to post guard in the low places can't just pray about it. We've got to act on it. What's the result? Verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, notice God gets the glory because the battle belongs to him. We all return to the wall, each to his own work. And notice what he does next. <laughs> Verse 16, from that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. And I love this. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I got my trowel over here, got my sword over here. I'm ready to go. They held, uh, did work with one hand, held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Verse 19, then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. What Nehemiah is saying is, hey, we've all got our piece of the wall. We've all got the that thing that God has called us to and we've all got that thing that that we're passionate about and that we want to be about and we're going to be working on that but you know what there are going to be times when the enemy is going to come and try to attack us and it's at that point when we got to lay our thing down and all rally to, to one point and all be about one thing earlier I mentioned uh, for the 12 of us that were in the room when I did the announcements. Um, tomorrow, 
we are, are calling the church to, to fast and pray for Trinity. Uh, we're in a significant uh, shift around here. As, as we're, we're changing church culture, we're trying to change the trajectory of things. We talked about it at the annual meeting last week. We talked about it in service last week about all doing our part, all being, you know, all in on this deal. And we, and we want God to do extraordinary things through us. And so tomorrow, Monday the 4th, I want to ask you guys to commit to fasting and praying for our church and our leadership. Um, that, that, God would, that God would do what he wants to do and that the enemy would, be, would not be able to impact what's going on here. You don't have to fast all day. You can fast a meal. You can fast two meals. You can fast all day if you want. But set some time apart where you just say, Lord, I'm going to devote this time to praying for our church. I'm sounding the trumpet. We all need to rally there tomorrow. Thanks, Brad. Everybody else is checking their calendar, checking their schedule. Let's see what I got going. I skipped over verses 10 and 12 that talk about some of the people getting tired. In fact, verse 12 says that there were some Jews who didn't pitch in at all, but rather they came to criticize and shoot down the effort. Do we have these people in the body of Christ? Amen. Right? People who don't get their hands dirty at all, but they love to sit back and, and tell you where you're doing it wrong. Right? Yeah, I'm not going to get involved, but... You know, you're just not good. You know, Chuck Swindoll calls them the cold water committee. They just throw cold water on everything. Friends, Nehemiah is showing us that we have opposition that's external, but we also have opposition that's internal. And when you read chapter 5, you'll see that there's some more internal opposition that he has to deal with. And sometimes the internal stuff is harder to, to persevere against because um, they're supposed to be part of us. And they're bringing us down. The bottom line is, at the end of the day, we're going to have opposition, both external and internal. But we extraordinary people stand firm and persevere in the face of opposition what we see in this text is how is how to do that and how you stand firm in the face of opposition is you do it with prayer and perseverance you do it with faith and good works you do it by saying there's a low place and I'm going to post a guard right there I'm not letting the enemy in there. 
We're in a day where the cause of Christ is opposed on all sides and darkness prevails. So the question is, what are we going to do? We hold the light of life. We know the great and awesome God who is able to, to heal all brokenness. We have access to, to the gospel and, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are we going to do? Are we going to be ordinary and lower ourselves to the tactics of the world? Are we going to be ordinary and join in with the naysayers who say this can't be done? Or are we going to be extraordinary and take our place on the wall, ready to rally at the sound of the trumpet and by prayer and perseverance, faith and good works, fight with one hand and build with the other? When you are ridiculed and when you face opposition and if you are moving forward, you can count on it. But when opposition comes, you just need to remember the charge of Nehemiah. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He will fight for us. Our God is no quaker. Let's pray. Lord, may we be a people who don't just pay lip service to being extraordinary, but may we be a people who truly step into that. That we have a passion, we pray, we have a plan, but we also persevere in the face of opposition. Lord, I pray that, that you would help us as a community of faith come alongside of one another so that we can all grow into the extraordinary people that you have saved us to be. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen.